So when we look at the Kamala Harris's, when we look at the even the even other people, Ava DuVernay, right? Like people like that that are that are starting to move and shake the Barbara Cochran's, right? The Stacey Abrams, like those people, we should be able to look at them and say, okay, that's how I go and get it. But what we see a lot of times, and I was and, and in the conversation I was having, I said the the influencers are becoming the new and i'm using just them in in my in my terms the new drug dealers meaning this is the person i see with the cars and the nice jewelry and the houses and you know living the lifestyle the influences are becoming that I want to personally invite you to our emotional intelligence mastery class phase one. Now you might be wondering, why do I need emotional intelligence? Well, that is the secret sauce to business communication, to engaging your team, to leadership. And the reality is EQ outperforms IQ. So I want you to join us as we go through two hours of great information that helps you get to the next level in 2021 and beyond. Get the tools, the strategies, understand business communication understand how you can implement and how you coach or how you support your team members and don't waste time now because we have it at a special rate so go to actleadconsulting.com backslash emotional intelligence again go to actleadconsulting.com backslash emotional intelligence and sign up today What's up, guys? Thank you for joining me on another episode of Internal Fire Presents the Act and Lead series. And on today's episode and the rest of this month, the squad, myself, Tyrus, and Corey are highlighting women because we are in Women's History Month. Just like Black history is American history, it is the same for women's history. So we want to educate the masses to be change agents so they can be equipped with tools and knowledge to be able to make change within their businesses and organizations all month long. So I want you to tap in, dial in as we kick it off. And of course, get your notepads, get your note-taking materials, and let's get into today's message. Welcome to the Launch, Leverage, and Lead series. As always, I have my great partners, Aisha and Corey. How's it going, guys? Hey, 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 hey. What's up, y'all? Yeah, it's it's a it's another blessed day, uh, Tyrus, man. Uh, it's not freezing like it was a few weeks ago, so I'm perfectly fine with that. Oh, that's perfect. Aisha, I see you got your everything's coming together in the background. I see you starting yes. to set things back up, get back into a flow. It's so, you know what? It's so good because again, um, that's why these active lead insights are so powerful. The awareness that I have of myself, like I like a system and being moving from one place to another place, not having like your structured place to go to your system and your process and your daily system. It just really threw everything off. So it's so good to be able to have a point of reference to go for my office. I have the gym that I do in the morning. I have like my mentee session I do in the morning. So there's so many things that's now systematic. So I feel like one again. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. And so if you're joining us, we definitely appreciate you for spending part of your Saturday. Please like and share because what we're talking about today, I think is going to not only open our eyes even more, but create an awareness around how we should be moving forward in the future. And of course, March is Women's History Month, which is an opportunity to celebrate the women who have made an impact on our history, culture, and society. To recognize the efforts of those who challenged the status quo and then back down. 
and to reflect on the progress that has been made and inspired to act for the future. And so our person that we're highlighting as the first lady in Women's History Month is Ursula Burns. Now, Ursula Burns, born in 1958, so she's been in the game and she has come, as my grandma would say, a long way. <laughs> she's an American businesswoman. She was the chair of Vion from the late from late 2018 to 2020. But what she's most, I would say, popular for or known for is she became the first black woman CEO of a Fortune 500 company, which was Xerox, and the first woman to succeed another head of a Fortune 500 company. So not only did she break glass ceilings, she broke barriers. And, you know, Aisha, when I think about this, she, even when our vice president became vice president, once young girls, especially young minority girls, can see a woman in a position, they can begin to dream that they can too make it there. It's hard to tell someone that you can be whatever you want to be. And then when they look at it or look at that position, they don't see anybody that looks like them. So it's like, how can I be this if there's never been anybody like this before? Now you can be first, but I think that it's easier once you see somebody there, you know that it's possible. And so Aisha, I want to get your take on that. Being senior enlisted in the military, understanding and You've been in for a significant amount of time, so you have seen these changes happen inside of the military, too. Talk to us a little bit before we dive into Ursula, Miss Burns. Talk to us about your experience as a minority, as a woman in the military and climbing the rank ladder and taking more and more responsibility and getting more and more into leadership roles or higher leadership roles. Yeah. Um, and shout out to you all. I mean, I think that, you know, of course, it's easy to say that I'm the woman in the squad and this was my idea, but it was the gentleman, a part of this team that had this idea to highlight women this month. So shout out to you for you, um, you know, you all thinking of that. And for me, I'm I'm like a triple uh, maybe even a quadruple minority, right? So I'm a migrant, right? And there's uh, experiences that migrants have to deal with, um, especially come to the United States. So I'm a migrant, I'm a mother. So even as a mother, um, a parent, a single parent, we're starting to recognize that the experiences for them are a lot different. I'm a woman, of course. Um, and we know that, you know, historically women having to navigate um, corporate spaces and being seen as more than, you know, these domesticated roles, it's evolved evolved, but there's still a long ways to go. And I'm also a black woman. Um, so, you know, there's so many different things that I've had to navigate around, maybe some quote unquote easy than others, because, you know, you can't see me and assume that I'm a migrant. I don't have a quote unquote accent. I don't fit those maybe uh, social uh, uh, identif identification markers to say that, that this is what this person is. Um, in regards to parenting, you can't see that from the outside, but definitely you can see that I'm a woman and I am a black woman, I'm an African woman um, and navigating uh, these spaces as typically the only one in rooms has been something that is, you know, the norm, like shout out to the military, because even for me, I think I was exposed to a lot of different cultures and a different, a lot of different experiences. But I always share the story about, I always aspire to be a chief master sergeant. So on the side of the enlisted, I'm on the enlisted side versus the officer side. And the chief master sergeant is the highest rank in the Air Force is the E9. So there are nine ranks. And I remember having an opportunity, my senior master sergeant, I was a uh, tech sergeant at the moment, about to put on master sergeant. So E6 went into E7. 
And there was an opportunity for me to go to a meeting with her. And it was a meeting with the chiefs. And I was like, yes, I got to be around them. This is where I'm aspiring to be. And I remember when we got there and walked in the room and I instantly knew I was like something was different because it was majority white male. Um, the women that were there were typically um, were, were white women. And what I even recognized from what I was seeing historically, it's like women had to exude this level of dominance in order for them to sit in this room. So it was like an out-of-body experience because I aspired to, to see this role or get to this role, but no one looked like me. And subconsciously, I started to already start to pivot and find new ways or started to wonder if that was uh, that was, should be my goal anymore because there was no one in that room that looked like me. And I think that's why it's so important to have representation and not only be someone that aspires to break the glass ceiling, but also be somebody that opens doors because it's simple. Like when these award packages are coming up, when there are um, opportunities for people to hire individuals on their boards or within these certain tiers, that consideration to say, you know what, there's a lot of white males here. There's a lot of white women here. So how about we need to make sure what, what is the dynamic, what is happening that's preventing or, you know, we're not seeing what society looks like. We're not seeing this diversity. And of course, you want to make sure you have the best candidate, but also figuring out if there are some bias in the hiring process, in the promotion process, and really be aware of that. But sometimes people lack awareness, like we talk about all the time, and we're not seeing that they're recognizing that there is a breakdown and also recognizing just like, you know, we're going to get into a lot later, but a lot of women tend not to aspire to get into this role because there's so much more demands on the outside and there's still this tug and pull and guilt that sometimes you feel as a woman if you have children. You know, sometimes it's the woman that decides I'm going to push back my career and I'm going to stay home and take care of the kids and allows the man to go out in the world and kind of manage the business and follow their dreams. So um, for me, again, it has been a very interesting journey as I um, am pivoting to get promoted one April to E8. Um, I'm still wondering. I'm not going to lie. I'm still wondering if E9 is in the picture. And in my mind, I'm thinking about it because I'm like, I want to focus more on my business and transition out because this is going to be year 18 for me. But a part of me wonders if the reason why I'm wondering that is because in my mind, I'm wondering, is E9 still possible for a Black woman? Um, and, you know, and it's something that I have to personally continue to work on. So um, it, it, has, it has been a great journey, but I'm just honored and grateful that I am being able to break the glass ceiling e even more because it's going to help other Black girls, other Black women continue to press forward um, and get into these spaces so we can see more representation. Love it. Love it. Now, when you when we begin to talk more and when we look at Miss Burns and at her journey, I always like to point out that we don't shortcut the process and we don't need to. What we want is to be sure that we have fair representation opportunity, but don't shortcut the process. So she became the CEO of Xerox as the first black woman. But she started at Xerox as a summer intern in 1980. And then she permanently joined after completing her master's degree and she worked various roles. 10 years later in 1990, she got an opportunity as an executive assistant. 
And I know that a lot of people may not want to take that path. And I don't know her mind, but if you want to be groomed to take over an organization, you have to sit next to the people that are running the organization. You have to learn how they speak, how they talk, how they deal, how they do business. And so she was able to, in 1990, sit with his name was Waylon Hicks. He was a senior executive as the executive assistant. She worked there nine months and then she returned home because, like Aisha said, sometimes the home life does impact women more because she was about to be married. And then she took a year off. And she came back in 1991 and became the executive assistant to the then chairman and chief executive, Paul Alatar or Allery. Corey, when you think about sitting next to, especially with team development and companies, and I know you've had this experience as well with there's a position with your name on it. What what advice or what thoughts do you give to not just women, but individuals that are looking to grow, how to accept a position that may not be as sexy, I guess, as the CEO? Like, how do you work with becoming the assistant as a strategy to get to where you want to be? Yeah, I mean, I think um, when it comes to accepting those types of positions, you have to have, and you said it yourself, you have to have a strategy for what you're doing. Like, don't just accept positions just because um, there's no vision behind it. There's no, uh, okay, if I take this step, then what's the next from here, right? You should always be two or three steps ahead and say, okay, based on this position, what will that bring me to next? And so I think for her taking that executive assistant position, like you said already, so she knows how to walk. She knows how to talk. She knows what they're thinking about. She knows the direction. Like we have to realize, uh, and a lot of people Say, man, I just want to be the CEO. I want to be this officer position, whatever. But you don't know what direction the company is. And for if anybody listening, looking for books to read, you should read Good to Great. Uh, and I believe that's by John Collins. And in that book, it talks about how these companies, when people step into these types of roles, if they try to change what happened drastically, uh, i.e., I believe General Electric in there or something like that was trying to sell paper products. And all of a sudden, the stock went plummeting. But if you're in that position and you know kind of what's going on already, not to say you can't put your own take on it, but you can then allow yourself to say, okay, if this is the direction we're going, this is what we're good at. This is this is how we're functioning. Right. How can I put my spin on us continuing to do that better? A lot of people come in and they say, hey, well, we'll just change the game up. We'll just do something else. And then boom, now you fail it. Right. And then now you got stockholders and stakeholders looking at you like, so <laughs> what you doing with my money? And um, I, I I thoroughly believe, and, and let me take a step back here. Sometimes you're going to, some. I always think about the arrow, the bow and arrow, right? For it to propel forward, you got to pull it back. And there's a lot of times where people just want what it looks like right now. They want, they want the glitz and the glamour, and they want the position, and they want to be able to put the title on LinkedIn and all that stuff. But what they don't realize is, we talked about this the other day, Tyrus. It's like, yes, they're telling you, yeah, just work hard and just do everything. And like, especially for us entrepreneurs out there, you could, man, I made I made ten thousand dollars in 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 six days. I, I spent a hundred dollars on marketing or whatever. And but it's like, but they, what they didn't tell you was was that was the day, um, that was the day that they that they 
had they had that but that was 10 years later <laughs> they didn't show you what actually happened before then and that they were losing money and trying to spend that same hundred dollars to, to make ten thousand or whatever uh and they have these like big fancy goals but they didn't they don't show you that they actually took a step back they actually put you know they put themselves in this position to go learn they got coached up or they got you know they took a step down in a position or whatnot a lot of people aren't willing to take the step back or to even take the nitty-gritty position to learn something else because they're just so linear and they're just like well the next step is this and this is what i deserve and yeah value yourself i'm not saying don't value yourself but sometimes if you take that side step you learn something completely different then you go back into the game and say okay i understand how it works but even at a different angle and i can put my own touch on it now I don't want to slide past that because putting that work in and I think today, especially with the generational differences, there's just a different lookout at how do I get to this position? And I think we look more and not us in general, but even us sometimes, how do we get to the place faster? We got to look at what she did. She started at Xerox in 1980. It was 2009 when she became CEO. So she worked there 29 years before she or was that 39, my math off. One of them. <laughs> she a long period of time she worked there and she stayed there. She was consistent and she worked her way up. And in 2014, she became known as or rated as the 22nd most powerful woman in the world. And so that's longevity. That's time. That is dedication to the process. That's the struggle, whatever you want to call it. She stayed in there and she saw it through. Now, Aisha, I have a question because, you know, some listeners out there may be, okay. what's the importance of allowing women in these positions and roles in the organization? So from your perspective, not only does and, you know, I have an opinion on why it's important. But from your perspective, why do you feel like it's important to allow women in those CEO roles, in the senior leadership roles within the, our businesses and other organizations? Well, the studies, you know, guys, are the studies. <laughs> but there have been multitude of studies that have identified the correlation between innovation, success, more revenue, um, more great ideas, more innovation with diverse rooms. So not only should we um, be ushering in spaces and creating spaces where um, the spaces are diverse because you have people from different backgrounds, you also have to consider women as well. It's always interesting where um, we've seen those ads and we've seen those, uh, uh, you know, those television commercials or whatever. And you're just like, did they talk to a woman when they created this? Like who was in this room? And just imagine again, if they had somebody in that boardroom that can speak to the, speak from the perspective of a woman when pitching that product and service. What if you had someone in that room that could allow you and they can speak to being a mom in the household and having to balance that or that single mother or be able to speak to the experiences for women in the workplace as they're making decisions that are gonna impact the entire company, but they 
haven't considered that, hey, I know you guys always every year go golfing or go on this trip, but you guys haven't considered, you know, this and that and childcare and all these other aspects that women have to deal with um, when they are traveling. So how about this? How about doing this? I remember um, before I became a mom, it didn't it, it didn't dawn on me that when I would go to restrooms, like, of course, you go in certain restrooms and then we'll have like the whole childcare thing. You can pull it down, change the child's diaper. And I remember I was traveling. I was actually leaving the D.C. area to go to an assignment in California. And right before that, I went to an engagement party that my sister was having because she was newly engaged. And I remember going to the restaurant pre-event before we actually had the event. And there wasn't any place for me to like change my my daughter. And I'm just like, it was so uncomfortable because you're in like the bathroom trying to like create, you know, find a way to do it. And it was in that moment I recognized like, man, like I wanted to file a complaint. I was like, they need to consider the fact that they're going to be people that might come in here for their kids or they're sending me a communication or they're sending me a message that we don't we don't really um, entertain people that have children here. And it's the same thing. Like you want to create spaces and rooms and you don't even realize the the small things that you're missing because you don't have those diverse rooms, just because you don't have enough black people, women of color, women all together. And that's why it's so important. There's some key things that you're missing in your company getting to the next level because the person buying your uh, products and services, your future clients might be a woman. Your future client might have a different behavior style. Your future client might be a black man or a black, you know, black woman. So by having that representation in your boardrooms, in those decision-making spaces, you start to have truly a collective of people that have different experiences that can speak to those things. And it will truly really benefit you because now when you're ready to expand into those communities, or now that you're trying to cater to women and um, cater all these different things to speak to them, this would allow you to truly have that insight, that insight in there. Um, and now you're going to be able to make more effective decisions. So innovations, um, you know, things from retention, like all of those things, by having women in the room, they're able to give you an additional perspective, then you, and you will be limited if your rooms only look one way. And if you're limited, your company's growth is going to be limited. And if your company's growth is limited, you will soon be out of business or you will no longer be that business, um, excuse me, that industry leader. So that's why it's beneficial to have a diverse room of different spaces or excuse me, different faces, especially those of women. And, you know, Throughout history, it's always been evident that women have served in pivotal positions. They have been in in the position, but not given the title, or they have been the backbone. You, you always notice that when you have somebody really great, you can look behind them and see who's actually the person that's supporting them, that women have always been in those roles. And I, and I think that we're finally seeing, not only from a woman perspective, but from a race perspective as well, that is not your sex or your color that makes any difference. It's who you are character-wise internally. And we're finally releasing the grip on, well, it's got to be a white male that dominates because nobody else can dominate like that. And you mentioned it earlier, Aisha, that even when women got into certain positions, they had to be more aggressive. They had to show up like almost like a man in order to root or lead successfully. And that's just not true. Just like we know that all leaders aren't dominant people and they don't have to be. So we have to begin to learn how to nurture diversity 
and what strengths other people bring because it's a different perspective. We do know that men and women at times may think differently in certain areas. Instincts could be different. It, it depends on your background, your culture, how you're raised and everything. But having those differences brings together a strength because the other person is able to see that other person's blind spot. And you're 100% correct. Half of these commercials that come out, it's like there couldn't have been a woman that signed off on that because it's just not realistic. And we have to get away from sexualizing everything as well. Because I remember on the election and during the inauguration, the comments were really around Michelle Obama coming out with Barack and having that dignity, having that respect, looking great together as a power couple, but she wasn't showing no skin. And so what I felt like when I was reading those comments, I'm like, man, is that really what we have to, we got to celebrate the fact that someone can have respect and power and not show their skin. But what I realized is that for our community and even for others, it's just not normal. It's just not the norm. It's not what we see. We see people without their clothes on. We see over-sexualized and we see all of this and it's become our norm. But when we see a person of power, and that goes back to when you see uh, Ursula Burns, uh, Aisha Thomas, a uh, Carmela, when you see them, or Kamala, when you see them in positions of power, then the viewpoint of young girls can say, I can be this instead of I got to be the next model. I got to be the next video girl. Or I got to be the next X, Y, or Z to get attention. And I think that as we continue, and I'm going off on a rant because I have a daughter that's seven. And I want her to be able to look at her mother, my mother, other women who are leading their own businesses and not have to be, well, I'm just stuck in this, in this role, in this capacity, because that's what society tells me. And I know Kobe was going down that same pathway with the WNBA largely supporting them. And Corey, if you want to speak to that, just what Kobe had begun to, how he began to ship because he had daughters, he had all girls and he knew for them to get fair pay, fair treatment, to even be similarly compared to the NBA, because quite frankly, we know that they don't pay the WNBA like they should be. Kobe realized that in order for my daughters to have an opportunity, I need to make this change and make this investment and so, like Aisha says, to be the door opener, he became that door opener to bridge that gap. So, Corey, talk to us a little bit about bridging the gap and some of the things that Kobe began to do with the WNBA. Yeah, and so before we before we get into that, though, um, I don't want to even move off the topic of what you just said because I just had this conversation with somebody. And I said, the, the world that we're living in, we have to stop objectifying women and, like, looking at them and saying, okay, well, can we sexualize them? What do they look like? Like that type of stuff. Like, I love that like Kamala Harris is in office. Like we have the Michelle Obama's like we have the and 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 diversity. Right. And so before I even get into that, the gender diverse companies, almost 50, like almost 50 percent. Like. They're more profitable than or they have a better chance of being more profitable when you're gender diverse. Right. So when we look at the Kamala Harris's, when we look at the even the even other people, Ava DuVernay, right? 
like people like that that are that are starting to move and shake the Barbara Cochran's right the Stacey Abrams like those people we should be able to look at them and say okay that's how I go and get it but what we see a lot of times and I was and, and in the conversation I was having I said the the influencers are becoming the new and I'm using just them in in my in my terms the new drug dealers meaning this is the person I see with the cars and the nice jewelry and the houses and you know living the lifestyle the influences are becoming that, but c- because you see them getting the surgeries and and I guess Tyrus they and I I don't know if they don't know how to build a different body, but that's the one body that they know. Like they lay something on you and they say, "Well, we just gonna outline it and make it fit this." Because I'm like, they all look the same, and so little girls look at that and say, "Well, they're taking trips and they're living the life and they're in the club and turn you know turning up and all that stuff." Man, that well, that's what I need to do. Right. But then you you look at an Ursula Burns and say, man, it took her 30 years to get there. Maybe more. You know what I'm saying? Like. um, So it we have to we have to start thinking about, OK, how do we actually and and this I'm, I'm just going to be flat out to all males listening to this right now. How do you start to look at women and say, OK, they are valuable. I'm not looking at them as a sexual object. Uh, I'm not saying, well, I'm discrediting them because they're not pretty. Um, you know, they can't think about stuff because, uh, what's the, what's the stereotype? Women are emotional. No, people are emotional because I know a whole lot of emotional men out here that the, the minute you tell them something, it's like they fly off the handle and go do something else. Um, so we have to start thinking about women in that sense of they bring value, they bring perspective, they bring a different, they bring a different light, I guess you can say to, what can really happen in the world and we need more people like the ursula burns and we just don't we don't see that the higher you climb you get to you get to like middle management in companies and it's diverse and then you get to the you know upper management and it's like kind of sort of diverse you get to that ceo and that really high officer executive role and it's like all white male um and it you're not gonna win and i'm gonna just say that flat out you're you're not going to win by continuing to do that because there is a different perspective. And uh, to be honest with you, there, and I, and I, when y'all was talking, it made me think back to when I was working at, I was working at the hospital, our chief medical officer, uh, I had, a, I had an admin assistant. He had an admin assistant. Our chief medical officer's admin assistant really kept him on, on board with everything. When he had a meeting, she had the documents ready, ready for him to go. She would like brief him sometimes and be like, don't forget X, Y, Z. Uh, to bring that up into the meeting like he would be ripping and running okay your calendar says this like you need to be here by this time don't forget you have a class over here like she really kept him in line and to be honest with you if she would have just not to say that she would have been able to speak on the doctorate level because none neither one of us had it all three of us because even mine included didn't have it but it's still like for her to be able to to impact and say okay be here by this time Here's the here's your stack of papers. Don't forget these points in this presentation that you need to bring up. Like, yo, if he if he did not have that, he would have been running with a chicken like a chicken with a head cut off because you you didn't have that support. But we'll look at somebody in a position like that and be like, oh, she's just an admin assistant. And I'm just being real right now. She's just an admin assistant. You know, you 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 make whatever. You're just a sidekick to somebody or whatever. Well, in in reality, it's it's valuable like you 
if that man had to keep his schedule, had to had to uh, remember everything he had to do for the day, like had to remember to bring these points up in the meetings. And she did a lot for him. He probably would not have been as successful as he was day to day. And I think we skip that fact and just think that, oh, man, you know, it's just an office job or something. It's not just an office job because if she performs her best, then he can perform his best and vice versa. If you flip those roles, because I think we have to take the gender roles off of certain stuff and say, well, women belong in the office as an assistant. No, if I was if I was her assistant, I would want the same level of performance. I want to keep her stuff in order. You need to be here. You need. Hey, don't forget. Hey. Don't forget to bring up X, Y, and Z, right? Because I want to see that person win. And it's really just about being support. We have to stop thinking about because of the gender role, because it might be a black woman, because it might be any minority woman, because it might, whatever it is, right? We have to stop discrediting these people because of how they grew up, who they are, just, just because they had a chromosome that's different than the male. Like that's, they are capable of doing the same thing. Um, but so I'm, I'm gonna get off my tangent there, but let's talk about Kobe, right? So Kobe and, and I had to really do some, some research on this. So Kobe, Kobe was, was worried about bringing up the, cause there's a, there's a big pay disparity in, in men's and women's basketball, right? Kobe at that point was saying, okay, yeah. Like you said, Tyrus, yes, I do have daughters. Like, yes, I do. I, they're going to be maybe professional one day, or maybe they'll be a coach or something like that. Um, he was even on TV saying, man, I think there's a couple WNBA players that could play in the NBA right now. Yep. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, thinking about that, it's like, okay, well, we discredit these women or we say, well, it's the WNBA. And um, I remember I was listening to a podcast and a guy said, he said, man, I'm trying to watch the NBA because I want to see the Duncan and I want to see, you know, the windmills and all that other stuff. I'm not trying to see the purest sport of basketball or whatnot, but should we then judge the NBA, the WNBA? Because I mean, and, and it's just biologically, they don't have as much testosterone. So their, their muscles don't build as much. They're not as explosive and stuff like that. You still have some very explosive women out there, meaning like by performance. Um, but it's, it's just biological at that point, but we have to, we have to, identify the beauty in it we have to understand like promote promote that avenue like promote that because to be fair we're on this podcast right now right and we're giving you this information but there's somebody else that's giving out information that you may gravitate to and say man let's look at that i don't i haven't very much watched the WNBA that much but when i have seen it i'm like oh shoot she kind of cold how many people are missing this because they just don't know. Right. And then all of a sudden you see the revenue start to bring in for the WNBA and all that. Um, the other piece is Kobe talked about this before. He said, we look at the WNBA and say they can make no mistakes. And he said, what we have to do is understand that this platform is still growing and we have to allow the, the league to grow. We have to allow the players to grow, to get, to get more sponsorships, to get better equipment, like to get, we look at, and I'm thinking about LeBron right now, Tyrus. LeBron, I think they said he spends a million dollars or something like that on his body every year. A WNBA player don't even make that much to be able to spend on their body. Very few. So how much performance are they lacking? Because they don't have the means to be able to do that. 
Like they they can maybe they, may, let's say they spend fifty thousand because I think their contracts are like five hundred to a million dollars a year, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, y'all quote me or drop it in the comments if y'all know what these contracts look like. But we have to think about okay, are we on the same playing field? Um, if we took a and I'm thinking about Candace Parker, I don't even think she plays in the league no more. I think she's a commentator right now, but she used to dunk in the WNBA. But if we paid Candace Parker thirty million a year. How much better would she have been? I bet she would have done some more. <laughs> she would have been windmilling, like because she would have been able to afford everything that she could to make her body like go into be like be in check. The trainers, the the coaches, like all that stuff. Like how how different would that have been? Uh, but I I do think as as Kobe said it, he said as a father, as a husband, as a coach of like the championship sports, uh, we have to. We have to understand that we need to start pushing women into a better platform. We need to give them the same opportunities that we have. And I truly believe that a lot of times it's like out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and Aisha, I know I'm going to kick it over to you for a second, but um, out of sight, out of mind. But we have to start reeling ourselves in and be like, it doesn't matter whether you have daughters or whatever. Like people, people have equal or they deserve equal opportunities. Just like in the workplace, I always say, having a great job shouldn't be a privilege. Like it should be a right. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to go to work and be like, well, um, just because, you know, this job doesn't treat me bad. I guess, I guess I made it okay. Right. Like you should be able to go into any job and feel like you're not going to be treated just bad. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna get off my rant though, but, uh, Aisha, I'm gonna kick it over to you. No, that was really, really good. And I, I wanted to highlight something that you said, resources, right? Resources from men versus women. Um, we talked about how long it took Ursula Burns for her to get to that level, that uh, C-suite, that, uh, you know, Fortune 500. That's like the creme de la creme. That's like the top tier. But you highlighted a great point. I wonder how many other men were able to get to that level at a less amount of time because they had the resources. They had the doors that were opened. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here for the other half of this message. That'll be back to you in one second. Look, there's only one way that you're going to really get to the next level that you need to be at. And that's by joining our free community. That's right. I said free because I'm not trying to charge you for the information that we talk about daily. Like when I say my life took a different route. Because I was having the correct conversations every single day. I really mean that. So look, do me a favor. Click the link below. And I want to see you inside of the free community. Right? And look, let Aisha, myself, Tyrus, let us take care of you. Not even just us. We got some heavy hitters inside of there that are really making moves. And can really pour into you as well. So do me a favor. Click the link. I want to see you there. Um, and even as you were talking about the WNBA, a W at the WNBA, um, and how okay, if they got more resources, aka funds, and they can pour more time and energy, um, and they can get those, you know, top tier coaches that could help them, you know, dunk or become more explosive or whatever it is. How would that make the game a lot more, I guess, you know, quote unquote exciting? Um, and I think that that's a great point. I I I was listening to a conversation 
on a great podcast that I like to listen to. I am athlete and they had a WNBA star there. And she was just like, you know, I, I understand that the dialogue is the reason why it's not getting that much, you know, TV time is because of the sponsors and because the sponsors aren't pouring the dollars into certain spaces. It's not getting as much TV time and so on. But even that, what if there's so many different companies that cater to women that could invest in these WNBA players, get these commercials in front of these you know, spaces, and that could also add towards the revenue that these women need in order for them to execute in those roles. So I think that implementing that and really start looking at the resource different, I think that would also um, speak to the reason why maybe it takes some individuals longer to get to certain levels because they don't have the resources and the support that they need. So of course they have to work 10 times harder for them to get to that level. Yeah. And let me and, and let me go off that, too. It's just and it's a conversation we've had before between the three of us. I you. So you at one point you said I wanted to uh, play in this football league. But the look for women, I think we can all agree. Like, why do they have to? Why is it the lingerie football league? Like, why? Why does why do the women have to play in like the, the little bitty shorts? Right. But the men are playing in like the long pants with the pads on and all that stuff. So it's like, why? Why do we have to sexualize that for them? Like it, it doesn't, and I, and then I've even looked at that WNBA. They play in the same gear that the men playing, right? You got the jersey, you got the shorts. The shorts, the shorts ain't the spandex boys that's way up to their butt and all that stuff. But then we look at like f- football for women and say, okay, well they have to wear these little bitty shorts, uh, which is is pretty. I'll be honest, it's pretty much draws at this point. Um, they they gotta wear stuff like that for people to watch it. Like why why do we pivot into a point to say? If I want to see a woman play in this sport, and I and I thoroughly believe that sports can actually change the landscape, and I think we've seen it over the past couple of years, sports can change the landscape in the direction that a people go. But <laughs> then we then we bring ourselves back like forty years and say, "Yep." But if you want to play football as a woman, you gotta basically show your entire body. And we know at this point, let's just be honest: we know that these men ain't watching you to see you to see how quick you cut or how good your hands are to catch football and all or you making these like bone breaking hit they ain't watching it for that um i just seen a video the other day and it was like these women in a circle getting hyped up or whatever this basketball league but they had like thongs on and i was like wait what (laughs) so at this point let's just be let's just be real with ourselves we're not playing basketball you're just flaunting what you got in front of your audience or whoever watches this stuff you just flaunting it in front of them. Um, so that's the thing for me is when I think about women, it's like we put a different standard on them to say, you know what, to make it to where we are, you got to get or even the stereotype. I should. And you correct me if I'm wrong with saying this. A lot of times women will get to a certain position and uh, I'm just I'm I, and I'm just being real. Y'all could y'all could whatever in the comments. And people be saying, oh, they slept their way to the top. Why she got to sleep away to the top? She couldn't just be smart. She couldn't just do her job and be great at it and get there. Like, but you talk like for a woman to get to the top, there's a very, there's a very biased opinion that sometimes you got to sleep your way there. Like we never hear that about men. Oh, the man slept his way to the top. Like (laughs) it's crazy to think that, that these things come from about women, but then there's men out here that say, well, they have the same opportunities that we do (laughs) where because they don't. And and until we get to a point to where women can get to that that level to being able, we need 
a million more Ursula Burns, right? We need a million more Oprah's and, and Barbara Cochran's and like all of these people. We need a million more of them for it to finally become an even playing field because I don't think that, I don't think that especially, you know, where you grew up, your paradigm, like how, how you were taught to treat, you know, gender roles and all that stuff. There's there's decision makers up there that aren't going to give the benefit or aren't going to give a certain person a, a, a look because that's the way that you think about people. Well, I should say women. Yeah, I mean, you hit some good points. Um, Yeah, I wanted to join the LFL. And I remember asking one of my female coaches, because this was really beginning, beginning of when I decided I wanted to be a public speaker and so on. And I was just like, hey, but this is their outfit. She said, absolutely not. And the re- and, I, and I respect that advice because she said, you won't be taken, um, you wouldn't be taken seriously because initially when I started this journey and I still do it as a part of my giving back, but I, I do a lot of work with you young women, um, the youth, um, because I think it's important to embed leadership and develop the next generation of leaders. But she was just like, they won't take you seriously. If they're Googling your name and now a picture pops up and you know that within the LFL, you're going to have to wear those really, really short shorts, which as Corey said, are pretty much underwear at some point, then you are going to be judged. And even as a woman, I've had conversations about how I look in pictures and how I dress. Should I wear t-shirts when I go on live? Should I get dressed up a little bit more? And I'm a black women. So I need to make sure I spot smile a little bit more. So you see me smile a little bit more. That is all strategic, right? Not that I'm not happy to be here, but I have to soften how I look, right? I have to put on a little bit of lip gloss. I got to put a little eyeliner on um, because unfortunately the way that I'm judged, the way that I'm looked is so differently than, uh, you know, a couple guys getting on and they can have their t-shirts on baseball caps and they can keep it moving. And even as I'm trying to uh, or, or getting into these corporate spaces, you know, a male, especially a white male, is more likely to get that opportunity than a black woman. So having to navigate all those things, it's like, mm, I, I, and again, I grew up a tomboy, um, you know, kickboxing champion. I've been in male dominated sports. And you always get, there's always these assumptions that are thrown about you, about your sexuality, about how you got there. You must be sleeping around. Be like, no, I just like to, you know, punch and kick and throw people, do some jujitsu. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big competitor. And I had, I didn't, I didn't hook up with anybody while I was here. Right. Um, and even, you know, not to get too, too personal, but I even struggled early on in my marriage. I'm divorced now because of the rumors and the assumptions of, what I was doing while I was trying to build a mixed martial arts career. And I essentially pivoted out of my MMA com- career, wanted to be a kickboxer because I saw how was it, it was affecting my relationship with my then husband. Um, so it's like, there's so many different dynamics that women have to go through uh, when they're trying to transition, even if in athletics, even in the corporate spaces, even in the military, like just like, okay, I don't want to look too mean. I don't want to look too soft. I want to be direct, but am I too direct. I don't want to look to this because people think this. And um, it, it is like a tug and pull that you have to navigate. So, you know, although I would have loved to play in um, the LFL, I recognize that by doing that, it could have affected my career. And shout out to the women that are doing it. No, knock to them. Do your thing, right? You know, there are women having to navigate these spaces that are doing it, doing it, and they're successful and they're doing the Dagon thing. But that those were some real um, conversations and reflections that I had to get. Hey, are you willing to deal with the scrutinizing 
recognizing the judgments, the assumptions as you go into these schools to speak if they Google your name and they see you in one of those outfits. I don't. So it was something I decided to walk away from. And again, if I wanted to continue to have this breakdown and dynamics, you know, in where I was training because I want to be this MMA fighter and shout out to the women out there that are breaking barriers, uh, like Sajara Banks, that, that was one of my training partners. And to see her in um, the UFC doing her thing, it's like, man, you know, what if I would have kept going? But I, there are so many women out there, just like right now, they're saying one in, one in four women are contemplating what they're going to do now that COVID happened and the shape of the workforce and having to manage the home is becoming so much of a struggle. You have so many women that are deciding to walk away from these corporate uh, corporate spaces. And now you might see the dynamic of women moving up in these leadership roles. You know, they might go down a little bit because 2020 was the highest year. You went 23% to 28%. And although that's not a big number, that's still a benefit and a pivot in the right direction. So we are having to navigate things so much differently. So the more we can get men, white men, black men, other women to recognize that we have to support each other a different way and really just, again, usher in this door opening mentality, the more that you'll start seeing, um, you know, that shift in the right direction. Will it happen? I hope so. There has been a lot of changes and people are having those real conversations, but we need to pick up the pace a little bit more. Um, so I agree. We have to look at resources versus men and women, and we have to look at some of the biases that we have when we're looking at genders and also, you know, judging and the assumptions that we have and not assuming, right? Those, those are called microaggressions, making these assumptions and verbalizing these things, assuming that the, that the way somebody got to a certain position, they had to do something versus work hard, grind, and again, effectively strategize for the, for them to get to the level that they got. Oh, y'all dropped a whole lot of good information there. It's just so much to unpack because now we're talking about unconscious bias, microaggression, and then emotional intelligence. So those are the things that we need to begin to gain more awareness around and uncover in order to change the attitudes that we have towards women at a subconscious level. And so I'm going to pivot right into our intelligence, emotional intelligence workshop coming up on March 28th from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. That's what we talk about. We talk about and discuss our subconscious mind, our thoughts, our unconscious biases, those those things that we innately believe and we don't even know it. We don't even have awareness around it. And so emotional intelligence isn't all about what we see as emotion, anger, sadness. It's so much deeper than that. And those even those emotions can be broken down. So we just want to invite you. We encourage you to come to join our emotional intelligence workshop on 328-2021. You can go to www.actleadconsulting.com forward slash emotional intelligence to register and sign up. Now, as we get ready to pivot and get out of here, normally when we do the, the launch leverage and lead, we have those small parts of the series that talk about more controversial tips. And I don't think this is really a lot of controversy, but it, it is a little confusing and I have an answer, but I want to pitch it to you guys first and then I'm going to run my thought process behind it. So it says that when 
Ursula Burns was retired from Vion. She was the last black woman to have served at the helm of a Fortune 500 company. She was fed up with companies making excuses for failing to hire more black executives. However, during her career, she resisted calls for diversity quotas at major companies. She was even the CEO of Xerox at that time. But after seeing no black women CEOs to follow her and only four black 400 or Fortune 500 males, four black CEOs in four years, she has reevaluated her viewpoint. How many more years do you have to wait before you start adding in more diversity? So I want to go back when she resisted calls for diversity quotas at major companies. From your perspective, or either one of you can jump out and start. Why do you think she resisted it? I have an answer, but I want to hear you guys answer, and then I'm going to drop mine. Yeah, I think that um, we have to recognize when we utilize the word diversity. Um, again, when I talk about diversity, I, I define it because, again, when we talk about DE and I, there's these uh, there might be assumptions and I love to um, add clarity. So, of course, diversity is faces, right? Making creating spaces that mimic society. So diverse is racial. Diverse is women. Diverse is um, in regards to sexual orientation. Right. So there, that's diversity. Um, when you talk about inclusion are now, are those voices, are there doors open where those individuals can voice their opinions? Are you vetting? Are you looking? Hey, ladies, what do you guys think? Hey, black people, what do you think? And so on. So, okay. Is my voice being heard? And then the last one is equity. Are there people sitting in those decision-making roles? So my question, I'm wondering where she says she denied diversity calls. Well, if the call was solely about this big idea of, okay, we need to have diversity in all these realms, then for her, it could have potentially been, I'm talking specifically about black people and black women. You want to have diversity conversations about this whole group, but we've recognized that we need more diversity specifically for black CEOs, black women. Um, so that could have been the reason, you know, that's why I was like, I want more details about that. But on the other side as well, we have to recognize sometimes we have to start somewhere. So if if it was just, okay, let me get my foot in the door, start having these conversations, build relationships, because a lot of this is relationship building, her recognizing that in some of these rooms, she might've only been the only black woman. So she might've been that person that could um, have been a relationship builder with somebody that wasn't exposed to black women, black women in those roles. Now they're getting to know you. Now they're knowing your background. Now this is shaping how they see the rest of the world and seeing other black women they interact with. And now this could have been an opportunity like, okay, let me play chess, right? Not checkers. And now I can start to really roll in and start talking specifically about black CEOs and black executives. Because as we know, in the Fortune 500, um, I mean, since she was the, I mean, since she's been the last black woman that was a CEO, you haven't seen any. Um, You've seen more women, um, but it's still a small dynamic. I believe it's about two to three percent that are black CEOs within the Fortune 500 company. And again, you have zero women. Um, so since she left, it's been a huge shift and a change. And the question is, why is that? So I'm thinking that maybe she denied it because it was, okay, let's talk about diversity in the big scope. But she's like, no, I want us to specifically focus on black African-Americans and that's it. And because of that, she denied it. So that could have been why, but essentially remember that any opportunity that you can get in your foot in the door, that could be an opportunity for you to visit, understand, see their initiative, build relationships. And then you can start to, again, strategically start, uh, you know, whispering in their ear the importance of having representation for Black uh, black people, specifically Black women and women in general. 
Yeah, and I and I think along the same lines of that, I I I believe that she wasn't taking those calls because like I, you're not gonna make me the token. <laughs> like you you gonna put me on your board and then say, oh, made it. Our, our company is diverse, and now Ursula Burns is the face behind the. Uh, well, now our company is diverse because we have her. Ah, leave, now leave me alone. Um, and so what we have to think about is, I think her mind shifted because I thoroughly believe if you can see something, you can then go get it. Like there's a lot of times where even myself, like I'm, I'm a black male, right? I'm multiracial, right? But the, the world sees me as a black male. The majority of what I am is as a black male. Even when I go to companies and I look at the top and I say, okay, well, how far can I get into this company? I do feel slightly defeated if I only look up so far and there's no black individuals at all, much less black males. Right. And that's a whole different conversation for another day, because if you think about that, women have an extra layer on top of that to try to defeat. And so I think she initially she was like, yeah, you're not going to use me as the token person for your company, the the diversity officer or whatever you want to put me as. Or I'm that one person that sits on your chair. And, you know, now you can say, like, no, we don't have any problems. We have her here. Right. Um, you know, you, we all know that person that's like, no, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. What? OK, <laughs> um, that that doesn't necessarily fix the problem. But um, the thing is, I think she then started to take those calls because she said, well, like in her quote, she said, do we give them 10 more years and they get there? No, I think and I and I go back to Obama's presidency. Right. How many more black male lawyers did we see come out during that time? I hadn't seen that many black men going to law school at that point in time, even with Kamala Harris right now. I love that she's in that position because how many more how many more attorney generals, lawyers uh, like judges? of black women will now come because they can see it like, and they're like, ah, she did it. I can do that too. And a lot of times people just have to be able to see it. And I think that's why her perspective shift to say, okay, if I put myself in this position, the, the Corys, the Aishas, the Tyruses like that are thinking, Hey, I'm working for this company. Can I get to that spot? They can now see me there and then say, okay, cool. I can do that too. That's good. And I, and I, and one quick note, I, and that happened when, um, in my organization, when George Floyd passed, um, was murdered and, um, all that stuff was happening. We were getting all this guidance. My mic wants to go away from me, but we were getting all this guidance from our leadership. And, you know, I responded to my commander and I said, sir, we're having a hiring board. We're predominantly women, women of color down here. Can you please have somebody in this boardroom that looks like us because our leadership was typically was all white males. They obliged, shout out to them. However, I remember when they did pick a black woman, she said, I told them specifically, I will not be your token DEI trainer. When these trainings come up, I will not be the person that does it. And when we go to this interview, I will not be the one to ask the questions that's related to, to diversity, equity, inclusion. You guys need to say it. Why? Because we need to see more representation or more of you, white men, asking these questions to your other white male counterparts because the majority of the people that, that, apply for the job were white men. And I love that. And I love when she added that. She was like, yeah, I told him I'm not going to be your token. I need you guys to speak up. I need you guys to do the trainings. I know. And it was uncomfortable for some. You could see it in their eyes. It was sweat. One lady was sweating. I'm just like, girl, it's okay. Like, it's just a little conversation about racial epitopes, ep epitopes, as they say, and so on. Um, 
But again, it's stretching that muscle. And I, I want to shout her out for doing that major seals because she was like, I won't be the token. Um, I will sit in the room. I will definitely be that representation. But I need you all to speak up as well um, to stretch that muscle. And then you're also relating because I need someone else that looks like you to see you doing it. And then again, it shows that, listen, uh, we are our environment that is about um, inclusion. We're about equity and we're about diversity. And I, as a white man or as a white woman, want to show that's what we're all about. So um, I love that you highlighted. It's like, don't make me the token. And I think we see a lot of that. Once this happened, there were so many positions for DE&I within organizations. And what did they typically hire? And I'm glad they did either way, because it's like, again, sometimes you have to get your foot in the door and say, okay, I know they're just looking for somebody African-American, Black, and most roles like that in a lot of corporations are the Black person is always the DE&I person. However, that could still be a door or a chess move to open up doors and um, allow change to usher in. But again, leadership has to have buy-in. Leaders don't just do this from the external means. When these individuals come to you and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. These are the changes that we need. I need you to also back them, support them, give them the resources they need, give them the support that they need, the bodies that they need. Because if you don't do that, then you're just doing it. You're just doing it from the externals and not the in internals. And essentially, your reputation is not going to be that that great because people are going to realize that you're just talking the talk, but you're not walking it. Mm, yeah. Now, my answer to that question, why she didn't answer calls to force or create quotas across corporations was we have an understanding that when you create a quota, you're just filling positions. There's no meaning behind it other than that. And so we've seen that sort of with affirmative action, just putting people in a place just to say that you meet a number. And when you create a quota, okay, we want 10% black executives. They're going to feel that 10% at the most or the most basic level they can and leave it there. Nothing more, nothing less than they say, well, we met the standard. And so when you meet the standard, you have no willingness or no benefit of moving further. And I think that she would, I think it could have been a possibility that she said, you know what? I want true equity. I just, I just don't want numbers. I want to have the seat and the position and the power. When Martin Luther King towards the end, as it got close towards the end of his life before he was assassinated, he realized and he made a comment. He said, I believe I integrated my people into a burning house. What he realized was integration brought inclusion, but it didn't bring economic empowerment. We just got into a scenario where the people that had the power still hated us, but we didn't have any control. And so I think that when you're trying to force quotas, when they're calling her and what do you think about making a quota? She's probably saying, you know what? I want the people that get put in to have power, not just to be another number or another face. And I think with a lot of these corporations that when they when the DNI DE&I uptick happened in the recent years, they were just putting faces there. Do they truly have power? When Shaq got on Papa John's board, does he have power? We don't know the answer to those questions. I hope he does. I hope he's able to make shifts. I hope he's able to make change. But we want to make sure that when we are getting invited, included, we also get a piece of the power too to 
effectively be able to make change happen. And I think when she became the leader and CEO at Xerox, her word mattered at that point. She was able to make change. Had she just been put into a DNI role, it still had to go up to another level and she didn't really have that power. So I think that and as her mind changed later was because, okay, now I'm tired of waiting. Stop telling us 10 years. Stop telling us we're working on it. Stop telling us we've transitioned. I mean, and this is off topic. After I watched Judas and the Black Messiah, I was like, we still fighting some of the same fights that they've been fighting all this time. When is it going to stop? When is it going to be enough? When are we going to be invited? And as we're building our own tables, as we're creating our own, when is it going to be accepted as this product is great enough? Doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, what sex you are. It's legitimate. I seen a lady post on one of the groups I'm in in Facebook. She said that she had customers or potential customers that told her outright that they didn't work with her because she was a black woman. Hmm. They knew her product was superior. Her service was superior, but they just couldn't get over the fact that she was a black woman and they didn't work with her. That's absolutely crazy. And that's where emotional intelligence comes into play. That's where reversing and really working to get deep and down inside of the unconscious biases comes into play because now you're making decisions on autopilot based on what a person looks like because you don't have familiarity with them. And we always know that it's been said that we fear what we don't understand. And so we fear certain people. We fear giving power to certain sexes because we don't understand how that other person works and operates. And we have a illusion of women are emotional. Women not going to uh, be able to handle the stress of the business. Women can't go to war because they're not they're not mean and they're, they're not going to handle it. They can't do it. I watched Braveheart for probably the 150 times last night. And he if you've seen the movie, you remember when he sent the daughter-in-law to talk to William Wallace because he knew the son couldn't go and he didn't want to go as king. And when she came back, they asked her, what did you do with the money since he didn't take the bribe? She said, oh, I gave it away to the suffering. He laughed. He was like, that's what happens when you send a woman. That creates a mentality of saying women aren't going to make the right de decision. They're going to play by their feelings and hearts, and it's not true. And if you take the actively <laughs> advanced insights, you will see however that order of thought is, whether it's empathy, whether it's practical thinking or system judgment, what your values are. She probably was an altruistic, empathetic woman. So she saw people suffering and she wanted to give them something to help relieve it. It had nothing to do with her being a woman. If it was a man and that's look at his son, his son was not fit in his eyes to be a king at that time because he was a homosexual. So he was like, I'm not going to send my son. If I send him, they're going to take over the whole kingdom because of the mentality that was bred. And we're still dealing with that. That was England <laughs> hundreds of years ago. We're still dealing with the same mentality and we got to get out of it. And so we're over the time, guys. I know I went on a rant with that one, but it kind of just. We want to celebrate women and we want to acknowledge the achievements that women have 
done over all these years, the their abilities they brought to the table, their strengths, everything that impact. I mean, we wouldn't exist without women. I don't understand how <laughs> we can downplay their role in society and in life when we are birthed from women and women really raise all of these men. Fathers do their part, but women have a larger role and then to just get up and say, well, we don't need women at this level because they can't do X, Y, or Z is crazy to me. But any closing words from either one of you guys and we'll get out of here. Yeah. No, go ahead, Corey. No, go ahead. Ladies first. This your, <laughs> this your episode. These are your episodes. <laughs> like I said, shout out you all for, uh, you know, ushering in and the, a lot of the words you're saying. I love the representation because we need to hear more men um, speaking to this. Um, but again, the biggest thing is like some main keys for, you know, uh, for us to recognize again, every time that I do these, you know, have these conversations, I always remind people it's one thing to consume information, but are you going to apply it? So one of the big things we talked about are resources. Sources. Yes, you might say that there's certain people or certain women that get to certain levels. But again, how much more challenging was it because they didn't have the resources? So consider if you have an opportunity that you can pass over to a woman, do that. Um, if you have a position that, you, you know, that's opening up, pass it to a woman. Um, recognize that black women even have to navigate these spaces even more. Um, again, there's a great uh, resource out there um, that talked about women in the workplace. And it talked about like it looked at the overall basis of women that are in these C-suite roles and Women of color are the least. I mean, you have, you know, entry level leadership uh, levels, 35 percent are white men, 18 percent black women or women of color. Right. Black women specifically. C-suite, 66 percent white men um, uh, for men of color, 12 percent, white women, 19 percent, women of color, black women. 3%. So what kind of resources can you start to uh, to do? Yes, we have all these opportunities to pour into small businesses, but how about support a, a woman of color? How about support a women's organization? How about say, hey, let me not pass this opportunity to my homeboy or to another guy. Let me pass this opportunity over to a woman. How about let me not just get on this call and I see a majority of men on this call. Why aren't women joining? Because the reality, most of these coaching programs, most of these things that I see is mainly women that are investing in this. So again, continue to really find ways that you can pour into women. Um, if you are making decisions that are affecting women, have other women in those spaces. The interesting part is a lot of these men tend to ask their wives and they get the info from their wives and then they go back and make the decision. But how about have somebody in that boardroom, have them on that board, have them working for you, employ them, support them. And the more that you do that, the more that you are going to uh, see a lot more growth. And then also, um, you know, again, there's a lot of information that's being put out there that that pours into the stereotypes. Watch your words, be mindful, build that self-awareness, take the act and lead insights, or just become more aware about how you're perpetuating this same type of mindset. Because once you have a daughter, if you consider your niece and your, your nieces and the women in your, um, in your um, family, have those conversations with them and ask them what their experiences are like. And that might allow you to have a little bit more empathy and understanding. So when you go out into the world and you get into these male dominated spaces or you're seeing these stereotypes, you can start to say, no, we're not going to do that. So it's about resources. It's about changing your own mindset, but it also means that you have to gain a little bit more awareness of your own biases and the biases of the company that you keep that will allow you to now know what areas need to be worked on. Yeah. And I, I think the thing for me was, and you said something that I should made me think about even my job, the well, I'm not even majority. All of my, uh, I guess, peers are women. 
in the department that I work in. And so a lot of times what I'll do is, and they'll always like praise me. They'll be like, oh man, you're so nice. Like behind the scenes. Cause like you were talking me up and you were like telling, they were like, you know, you did that, right? Like I didn't have anything to do with that. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I know how they're going to look at you and they're going to praise what, what you've done versus they already look at me a certain way. So if I can build you up, I don't have to worry about me. I know what they think about me. People have portrayed that already and they have voiced that, but I need to make sure that I can get you to a certain level. And even if you pass me up and doing whatever I'm doing, that's cool. I'm going to catch, I'm going to catch up one day, but I know that a lot of times unconsciously, it might be harder for you to do it than it will be for me. So I talk them up a lot. Uh, but the other piece I was going to say to just to close us out, we have to, and I've been saying this before, we have to start praising the habits and not the the final product, right? Not the metric. And so I believe that that Ursula Burns, she was ta- she was taking these calls away. She was like, no, don't call me. Because at a certain level, management looks at metrics and they just say, if we can just hit this and the percent of our board is minority or a percent of our board is a black woman or whatever it may be, we've done our job. When in reality, do you have a history of hiring black women? Do you have a history of hiring minorities into positions? even just women in general. So we have to start understanding that we have to look at the habits of what's going on within these companies versus did, did we hit the metric? Did we hit the goal? Because that might not tell you the entire story. That's good. That's good. Well, we're going to wrap this thing up. Definitely appreciate you guys, all the information that you dropped. Like Aisha said, it's not about theory and it's not about consumption. It's about application. So as a leader, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, even as a person that's working a job, make sure that you take this information, the examples, and begin to apply them. If you don't know how, that's what the courses are for. That's what the emotional intelligence workshop is for. That's what the acting lead insights are for to help you gain awareness into that and create the insight that you need in order to make change. And so I just challenge you with making a change to be more diverse, to be more inclusive, but also to provide true equity. Don't just do it just to be doing it for a face, for a picture, for a, well, I checked this box and if they can see it on social media, actually do it because you want to make an usher in change and understand that you will be or your return on that investment will come back to you tenfold, if not more, probably a hundredfold, because now you've created opportunity and people will come to your company because they say, hey, this is a place that I may want to work for. I want to be in a place that's diverse, that's equal, that's inclusive, where we all have a voice and that voice is actually heard. So Corey, sign us out, sir, and we'll get out of here. Yeah. So y'all know, as we always say, you know, you got to mix action with leadership. And that's kind of what we bring to y'all every single week. So this is the part of the podcast that I want to challenge you to reflect and apply. It's one thing to consume information, but about applying it. What can you do to start being a change agent? What opportunities can you pass on to someone else, a woman of color? A woman who should get an opportunity because she's dope, she's knowledgeable, she's great at what she does. What can you do to start ushering that change? A lot of you out there are starting businesses or you have a business. I want you to look at your organization, your company, and your business that you're building and ask yourself, am I creating an environment that is diverse, that is 
open for women to come in and add to this great company that you're building, this great brand that you're building? If the answer is no, I want you to make a change. So let's apply this. Let's share this information. Let's do what's necessary so we're not just reflecting on this one month out of the year, but we're creating change throughout the year throughout the days, the months, and soon you'll see upward mobility for more women, more opportunities for them. And that 23 or 28% that they say are represented of women in these top tier executive tier positions will start to get higher and higher. So let's do our part. Make sure you guys are following us on Athlete Consult on all podcast platforms, um, as well as all social media Um, We're also on YouTube, so make sure you check that out. And of course, if you want to get with me directly, shoot me a message, info at AishaThomas.org or at Miss Aisha Speaks, but make sure you connect with our team. Get with us. We also do a lot of training on these topics, and we are about organizational change, business change, and being thought leaders and doing our part to really get to the next level. And it requires you to be more open-minded and be that organization of change. So appreciate you guys tuning in today and make sure make sure you get back with us next week for another episode from the act and lead series y'all have an amazing week